So we'll pick up here with the Rambam and we'll see how far we can go. So last time we spoke about soothsayers. Um, let's see, and um, good omens and bad omens and so on and so forth. Like saying, uh, since I married, my wife has been a good omen for me. I purchased this animal, now I have good luck and so on and so forth. Things that, um, that all relate to idolatrous behavior. And we, we left off here about uh, divining. So Holocaust 6 says, what is meant by a diviner? Um, it's talking about, let's see. What is meant by a diviner? This refers to a person who performs certain deeds to cause him to fall into a trance and have his mind cleared of all thoughts until he can predict the future. This will happen or this will not happen or saying it is proper to do such and such or be careful to do so, so and so. There are some diviners who use sand or stones to obtain their answers. Others prostrate themselves on the ground, make strange motions and scream. Others look at a metal or crystal mirror, fantasize and speak. Still others carry a staff and lean on it and tap it until they fall into a trance and speak. This is what the prophet Hoshea meant by saying, my people will inquire of their rods, their staffs will tell them. So, okay. It is forbidden to divine or inquire of a diviner. Um, this, uh, this is mentioned in uh, two lists of the uh, 613 mitzvot, Sefer HaMitzvot, which was written by the Rambam, and Sefer HaChinuch. Um, from Sefer HaMitzvot, it's negative commandment 31, and from Sefer HaChinuch, it's mitzvah 510. And it's considered that this prohibition would be one of the 613 mitzvot of the Torah. So, a person who inquires of a diviner is giving stripes for rebelliousness. In contrast, in contrast, the diviner himself is punished by lashing if he performs one of the above or similar acts. As Deuteronomy 18.10 states, there shall not be found among you one who passes or one who practices uh, divination. Um, Halakai 8 says, who is a fortune teller? A person who tries to predict auspicious times using astrology and saying, this day will be a good day or this day will be a bad day. So it's a person that's uh, making like prophetic statements in a, in a relation of time. So um, this is not, this is not um, allowed to, to participate in here according to the Torah. It's, it is appropriate to perform a particular task on a certain day or this year or this month will not be uh, opportune for this particular matter. So that's a fortune teller, someone who says, these times are good, these times are bad, do this on this day or don't do that on this day. Halakha 9, it is forbidden to tell fortunes. This applies even though one does not perform a deed, but merely relates the falsehoods which the fools consider to be the words of truth and wisdom. Anyone who performs a deed because of an astrological calculation or arranges his work or his journeys to fit a time that was suggested by the astrologers is punished by lashes. Now when we, when we talk about lashes here, it doesn't sound so severe uh, in comparison to death, the death penalty. But um, the lashes we're talking about here 
or up to 39 lashes and uh, the person giving the lashes has a whip and they stand back and uh, they take both hands and they power the whip with all their might and uh, the the law is that it's up to 39 lashes uh, it's not always 39 it's how many lashes the person can handle uh, till they're almost dead up to 39 so it's a very severe punishment it's not really in some ways it's not better better than death yeah so it's very severe so Leviticus 19:26 states do not tell fortunes so also included in the scope of this prohibi prohibition is one who performs magic tricks and deludes those who observe him into into thinking that he performs wonders although he is not doing so so he is punished by lashes so in Sefer HaMitzvot, the Rambam describes such a person who performs tricks with deft hands, and he gives a number of examples. A person who takes a rope, puts it in his cloak, and removes it after it has been transformed into a snake. A person who throws rings into the air and then removes them from a colleague's mouth. The Sifte Kohen explains that the basis of those statements, uh, the acts of contemporary magicians, would be forbidden. Okay. <coughs> Halakha 10. Who is a person who casts spells? Um, a person who chants incantations that have no meaning in people's speech or any connotation and imagine in his foolish perception that his words have an effect. Such people will say, if you cast a particular spell on a snake or a scorpion, they will, not, they will do no harm. Um, if you cast a particular spell on a person, he will never be harmed. So it's talking about incantations to protect oneself or uh, to protect others or to keep creatures from harming people. It's nonsense is basically the idea. Um, if you cast a particular spell on a person, he will never be harmed. Some of them will hold a key or a rock in their hands while they are talking or perform other similar deeds. All of these are forbidden. The Rambam follows the, uh, the thesis mentioned in the introduction preceding Halakha 4, Halakha 4 that none of, of the occult arts mentioned in these Halakot are anything more than figments of human imagination nor do they have any effect in this world. Other authorities, say, like Rashi from Deuteronomy 18.11, based on Sanhedrin 65b, the Shulchan Aruch, uh, Yoridea 179.5, interprets this as referring to a snake charmer. For example, someone whose chants actually have an effect. A person who casts spells is punished by lashes. If he holds anything in his hand or performs an act while speaking, even if he merely gestures with his finger. Punishment is not administered for a transgression unless a deed is committed, and speech is not generally considered to be a deed. Thus, unless the person performs a deed while chanting, he is not given lashes. So there has to be, in this, con in this context, there has to be a deed or emotion attached to the speech uh, to consider uh, it being punished, punishable by lashes.
what's the deed? I'm, I'm missing. What Pointing a finger. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Or a stick, or. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the magic, <laughs> magic wand. Right. So uh, Harry Potter would be an example. Right, or you know, uh, I'm gonna. Not I've ever seen. I'm going to bring it into modern times. Uh, some of us here may have seen people in certain organizations speaking with a certain type of language and putting their hands on people in order to cause an action to happen. It's a very similar circumstance. Speaking incantations that no one understands and putting their hands on people in order for an action to take place, such as a so-called uh, casting out of a certain thing or what or uh, trying to bring an incantation of healing on a person or certain things like this. Yeah, it's important for people to understand that this is the smoke of idolatry. Th yes, that's a very good point. It's not direct idolatry like, uh, right, it's, it's the smoke of idolatry. It's uh, connected to it at a di in a, from a distance, but it all uh, emanates from idolatrous behavior is the problem. Even though today most people are not intentionally participating in idolatry, idolatrous behavior again it's the like the smoke smell of a person who doesn't smoke who goes into a smoky room and comes out he smells like smoke okay let's see here there shall not be found among you one who casts spells so Sefer HaMitzvot uh, negative commandment 35 and Sefer HaChinuk Mitzvah 512 consider this prohibition to be one of the 613 Mitzvot of the Torah there shall, not, there shall not be found among you one who casts spells if however the person merely spoke without moving his finger or his head and without holding anything in his hand and similarly a person who has a spell cast upon him through the utterance of such incantations thinking that this will help him, he is given stripes for rebelliousness. Because he participated in the foolish activities of a spell caster. So whether the person casting the spell uses, uh, does an action or just says verbally, the person receiving the incantation that's putting his trust in this incantation of the spell caster receives stripes for rebelliousness. And again, this is if he's found guilty and there's witnesses and so on and so forth. And it's simple and exactly, exactly. So the, the stripes for rebelliousness, um, what do you say, the, the lashes and the death penalty, they have not been enacted for many, many generations, for, for over 2,000 years. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, what, is the, what do we call this, the common era? So since around 30 uh, BC, there has not been any death penalties um, enacted by the great Sanhedrin because the, the office of the Sanhedrin has to be in the temple itself proper in order to make such uh, rulings. So they moved out of the temple proper and they were of course on the temple mount, but in a separate building than the temple. Um, since about 30 BC, so there have not been any death penalties in Atkinson's. Right. Well, uh, there's certain types of um, punishments that, that can be dealt out by the lesser Sanhedrin or uh, Abate Dean. Gotcha. Uh, and those are Financial specific things. Et cetera, et cetera, yeah, stuff like that.
So, uh, but again, uh, I would like to touch on this. Uh, it's relevant to this uh, concerning the death penalty. Um, there are many prohibitions in the Torah that, uh, if they're broken, uh, a person could receive the death penalty if they're convicted by the Sanhedrin. Um, but there are three categories of mitzvot that, if they're broken by a person that's under the covenant um, at Mount Sinai, if they break these commandments, uh, in other words, they're, let me see how to word it, um, if a person's life is threatened, if someone says, you have to break this commandment or I'm going to murder you or kill you, um, there's three commandments or categories of commandments that a person is not allowed to break. They, he's supposed to forego his life uh, to avoid breaking these commandments, and it's idolatry, uh, the murder of another person, or sexual immorality. Um, oftentimes, I've, uh, people ask the question, well, what about breaking Shabbat? Um, breaking Shabbat, of course, for a person that's part of the covenant at Mount Sinai, it, uh, if he's found guilty of breaking Shabbat, the punishment is uh, death, the death penalty. But if uh, a person is his life is in danger, uh, either due to illness or threat, a threatening situation, he is commanded to forego the commandments of Shabbat in order to save his own life. Um, so there's a, a big difference there. Three things again that uh, a person must, uh, a person of the covenant must give up his life instead of breaking these commandments: idolatry, murder. And sexual immorality. Yes, question? Oh, all the commandments except for those three to save a life. Uh, to save a life because uh, Hashem said that I give you these commandments in order that you may have life. Um, it's a way of living, not a way of dying. But uh, there, there's inherent problems that come with those three with the idolatry, to, to commit idol, to purposefully partake, partake in idolatry is to deny the, the Creator Himself. Uh, to murder someone uh, has two contexts to it. It's denying that uh, Hashem is the, uh, the Creator of life. And it's also uh, denying that person's right to live and taking it upon oneself to decide whether he lives or dies. And the third one is uh, sexual immorality is a violation of um, of God's creation, number one, and it's a violation of one's person, and it can't be repaired. These th those uh, when a per when a person is murdered or a person is uh, violated under uh, sexual immorality, it, there's no repair for it. So um, there's no way to pay that back, other than death. Okay. Any other questions concerning that before we move on? All right. So all these deplorable incantations and strange names will not do harm, nor will they bring any benefit. So they don't do anything. It's foolishness. Okay. Um, according to the Rambam, it's, they don't do anything, and it's foolishness. Uh, Halakha 11, when a person has been bitten by a scorpion or a snake, it is permitted to recite incantations over the bite, even on the Sabbath. 
Huh? Uh, maybe we'll see. Okay. In order to settle his mind and strengthen his feelings, even though the incantations are of no avail, since the victim's life is in danger, permission was granted lest he become overly disturbed. So the commentaries explain that although a transgression is involved, so it is a transgression to say incantations, one is allowed to commit a transgression in the face of a danger to life, which relates to what we just discussed, basically. The placebo effect of the incantation is necessary to allow the person to overcome the threat of poison. Hence, it is permitted in this unique instance. In today's vernacular, yeah, it's like you're going to be okay and everything's going to be fine, even you don't have though. To worry about anything. Yeah, you don't have to worry about anything. Nothing's going to happen to you. It's just a little this or that. Whatever it takes to put the person's mind at ease because we know in a medical condition when a person's life is threatened, the worst thing to do is to bring more stress. That, uh, what do you, that exact, yeah, <laughs> the stress exacerbates the condition to, uh, and can bring on shock. You know, and it's not easy to pull a person out of shock. So the, whatever, it, basically what I gather here, what I'm understanding is whatever it takes to calm the person down. Only specifically for that instance, yes. <laughs> well, no, but it's, it's, it has to do with death. If somebody's potentially going to die, if they say incantation or whatever, like, I'm going to be okay, this is all going to be okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, the, well, the person, you think about a scorpion and a snake. There are deadly snakes and scorpions right. in the world. Their sting uh, contains venom that uh, can be de a detriment to human life. So, um, and of course, being stressed out and freaked out exacerbates the situation greatly. So, imagine the person's there and he's thinking out loud. He's like, oh, there's no one here to say blah, 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 blah. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, no. So, Say blah, 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 so they don't freak out and die. And that's a real life thing because my brother in law was bit by a copperhead. And they, it was bad enough that they were afraid he was going to die or he was at least going to lose his limbs. And sitting there going, everything's fine, you're going to be okay, and singing some, whatever song it was he wanted. Right, whatever he needed, yeah, to right. get him to calm down. Sense. Right. That, that's a good question. Yes, specifically it's talking about an incantation that the person believes is going to help them to overcome something. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it, I mean, it's... It may not be It's not a transgression. Right. It's not a transgression to say you're fine or whatever. But yeah, to say an incantation, like uh, because there's the person believes there's power in, the, in those specific words... That's the transgression. Like my brother in law is Indian, and so they would use part American Indian, and they have things that they would say that's part of their ritual. Of course. So he would say, 
Right, so there are different cultures in the world that uh, expressly have incantations they would use for such things. And in this instance, uh, it would be permitted to transgress the commandment because of the idea of, it's called pekuach nefesh, it's to save a life. Okay, Halakha 12, a person who whispers an incantation over a wound and then recites a verse from the Torah, who recites a verse over a child so that he will not become scared, or, or who places a Torah scroll or tefillin over a baby so that it will sleep, is considered to be a soothsayer or one who casts spells. So we're not supposed to use the Torah, uh, the words of the Torah, the uh, uh, book of Torah, uh, Tefillin, they're also, they contain scrolls of Torah writings. They're, they're considered in a similar status of a Torah scroll. We're not to use these things for talismans. Am I saying that word right? Talisman? Or a good luck charm. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. A good luck charm, um, and so on and so forth. No, but the specific, especially yeah, yeah, uh, items of holiness. And we're going to die. Right. But we're going to touch on that. We're going to, yes, it, it goes directly into that. Uh, right. It's saying here, reciting an incantation and then recites a verse from the Torah. I like to reinforce that incantation. If we go back a step, uh, the Rambam is, is explaining that these incantations, he says, all these deplorable incantations and strange names will not do harm, nor will they bring any benefit. So to, to say a verse of Torah behind an incantation, it's like trying to reinforce it. But it's, there's nothing to reinforce because it's empty. So, um, wow, this is severe, okay. Oh, yes. Okay, like say there's um, uh, and I that Say that again? Absolutely not. No. <clears throat> we're gonna, right, it's going to go into that directly. No, we're, we're almost there, but that's a good question. So no, uh, that's why I repeated it. I'll repeat it one more time. It's talking about saying an incantation and then reinforcing that incantation with words from the Torah. Yes. Any type of words that someone would believe has power behind them to change their situation. That's one definition. Now, a lot of times it's like, like someone saying a spell. That's an intention. A spell. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Aramaic, yeah. Aramaic, yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of wives' tales in European customs that people say phrases to bring certain types of blessings and goodness, and those are incantations. Yeah, Baba Mises. Baba Mises. 
Oh, so now you're going to bring Homeland. <laughs> you know, we're trying to overcome the past here, all right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Three, three times, and then you say blah blah blah. Maybe you're supposed to say roses. I don't know. You know that kind of stuff. That most definitely. That most definitely. That is. I don't think I'm going to repeat that one. No, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's not worth repeating. Wash my brain out. Yeah. No, it's exactly it. Right. Right. That's the whole point. It's foolishness. But the the Rambam says it's a placebo effect at best. That it's it's. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's putting our, it's one putting their trust in the goobly got words. If you heebie jeebie, you know. <laughs> yeah. If. Something calmed down in the mother, and therefore the child sensed it, and it's all in the imagination and the spirit of the person. So it's possible. Yeah. Of course. It's that's the best way to put it. It's not kosher. <laughs> You'll not see a. No use symbol. No. Well, that's just the physical busyness of doing something. You know, if you're putting faith in the rocks to, to do it, then maybe there's an issue. But has something more to do with acupuncture and pressure points. There's what to rely on there. Okay, this is so much fun, guys. I love this stuff. I'm glad we're uh, chewing on it a little yeah. bit. So, you guys are great. There's a lot of that in there. Saying, do this on this day, this is this and that, because of astrological charts. Nah. In some ways they are, yes. Now, j just for the sake of understanding, the Rambam does not ascribe to any of that at all. He says stay completely far away from anything like that, 100% away. It's better not to delve in it. I'll put it like this. I had a farm for six years and I never opened the book and my plants grew wonderfully. You also have to remember when the Rambam wrote these things, all of culture was steeped in all types of mysticism and, and curses and blessings. It's like it was society. Today we would think it's silly. Yes. Anybody this is 800 years ago. Yeah. 800 years ago, they were saying all kinds of incantations. And yes, uh, sorcery, all types of nonsense going on. Same? Ah, thank you. Okay. So, let's go forward here. All right, we left off with, oh, here we are. Excuse me. 
So we don't put the tefillin over the baby so it will sleep. It is considered to be a is a person that does this is considered to be a soothsayer or one who casts spells. Furthermore, such people are included among those who deny the Torah. That's a severe statement here. So it says, uh, note Hilchot uh, Teshuvah, which states that there are those who deny the Torah, that those who deny the Torah do not have a portion in the world to come. Sanhedrin 90a states that a person who whispers any incantation over a wound then spits and then uh, recites a verse from the Torah will not receive a portion in the world to come. So again, this is attaching words of holy words to incantations. Um, okay. Because, okay, so furthermore, such people are included among those who deny the Torah because they relate to the words of the Torah as if they are cures for the body, when in fact they are cures for the soul. As Proverbs 3.22 states, And they shall be life for your soul. The, Sif, the Sifte Kohen explains that the, pro, the prohibition applies only when one expects the mystic power of the verses alone to heal. If, however, one views God as the source of all cure and recites the verses in order to increase one's merit, there is no prohibition involved even when a person is already sick. As mentioned in the note below, this opinion is accepted throughout the Jewish community, which relates to what you were right, and it, and it goes further into that as we go on. So the idea is that it's not wrong to... Uh, the idea, excuse me, the idea is that Hashem is the source of healing, not the text itself. The text has no power of its own. The text is powerful because it is the words of Hashem. Explain to the audience why uh, it's important that when we're asked to read the healing for someone who's healed or sick, what power that has and why it's, why it's a positive. Okay, the reading of the Tehillim themselves uh, do not hold any power. Okay, uh, a person that has no concept of Hashem or that he's the Almighty and the all-powerful creator of all things, person that doesn't have a concept of that, to pick up a book of Tehillim and start reading it uh, for the sake of heal someone being healed, um, he's making a mistake. It's, uh, he's not doing anything good or bad. He's just reading words. So the whole idea is that one uh, would recite these words in the merit of this person uh, with the expectancy that Hashem himself would bring healing to this person because of their merit. So what's going on here when a person recites Tehillim, um, in a sense, uh, in a way he's, he's saying, um, I find merit in this person's life, therefore I'm going to do this action of reciting Tehillim for their merit, and may the God of all creation, the God of Israel, Hashem Yitbarach, may He bring healing and a refuah shalemah, complete and total healing, to their body. If that's yeah, if the person understands that the words are connected to the God of the universe.
No. Right, like the 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 power in the mezuzah scroll is because the it's uh, the written word of Hashem, and uh, because it's connected to a direct commandment that came from His mouth at Mount Sinai, in order to, you know to put the mezuzah scroll on one's doorpost. Um, I can't. I don't remember what it's called. Um, Rabbi Nachman did. Tikkun Klali is one of the one of the things that Rabbi Nachman did, and it's uh, like ten to Helim, if I remember correctly. Or ten specific ones. Right. Oh, yes. At the beginning of the Tehillim, you look at it and it'll tell you, here's the Psalms to read for this, this, and this. It also does that you should be able to see it. In, in and certain Psalms can awaken and rely on certain things. So it awakes a certain spirit when you say certain ones, it's like a formula one. Well, it, but a lot of sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, but I heard that a lot of people, they, they just, they almost make like a, a market out of it. It can be if the person doesn't understand what they're participating in. But like the like our rabbi explains, and I'll do my best to, to honor his words, um, that the words of Tanakh are part of a system that Hashem put into place. Okay, um, They're like the connector to the system. So when we read in Hebrew, specifically when we read the words in Hebrew, uh, we're accessing the system. It's like um, if you call a company in Japan and you don't speak Japanese but you you don't understand it you know how to say the words though so you call and they uh, and it asks you a question and you have written down the words in Japanese to access that program over the phone to get what you need done over the phone even though you don't necessarily understand the words you're accessing the system so it's the same way with the Hebrew words that are written in the in the holy text Whenever, whenever we speak those words, we're accessing the system. So uh, it's like uh, we're a computer. Um, in a way, we're like the most high-speed, high-functioning computer that exists. All people have that. We're like the computer module, if you would. Then um, let's just say Shemaim, the system that's uh, in the spiritual world, is the what we're trying to connect to, and the, the Hebrew words are the connector that connects us to that system. <coughs> so it's like the computer code, or the computer matrix, like that, that, that makes up this, this uh, lower world, in, in a way. Adam, there's something else that would be really good to mention here, is it, when you say the Hebrew words, we're actually talking Russian Kodesh, which is the actual Hebrew words. In English, it's not Russian Kodesh. No, Lashon HaKodesh is yeah. actually the Hebrew text itself. Correct, the Hebrew text. So that's why what Sandy and a lot of people are doing is by learning to at least even functionally just to read a little bit of the text at a time, you're speaking this holy language. Yes. And it's very powerful even though you may not fully understand. You don't have to understand right. it to access the system. I don't understand X and O's in a computer, but I know it gets the job. Now, is it better to understand? Absolutely, yeah. but we're not all at that place. Right. It's okay if you don't understand. Right. Uh, it's a learning process. 
Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they are. Uh, Mekubalin, the, the Kabbalists, the kosher Kabbalists. Yes, they are uh, they're like the masters of the system. They understand what to do to access direct points in the system. Yeah, like uh, Rabbi uh, Meir Balhanes, um, Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, say, Bar, uh, especially uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, um, the Arisal, the Baba Sali, and many, many others whose names I'm not uh, calling right now, but yes, there's uh, definitely people that, uh, that live in the world today that know how to um, pinpoint exact things in the system. Okay, this is so much fun. Okay. Oh, modern, yeah, yeah, the modern vernacular, yeah. Big difference. Hebrew is not the holy tongue. Right. Even though it sounds like Hebrew and might look like it, it's not. It's based off of it, right, it's based off of it, but it's not the same, yeah. It's Lashon HaKodesh. Correct. But it's not a crime to say I'm reading the Hebrew. Yeah, it could be considered inaccurate, yeah. But if we go into it knowing, I'm just learning modern-day Hebrew, so when I go there, I can speak with somebody. That's different. Absolutely. To learn and read Torah in the holy tongue, holy language, so I'm going to go back to that. Yes, that's two different modes of learning, to learn biblical Hebrew or Lashon HaKodesh versus learning the spoken language of Ivlit. Or like we'd say in English, modern Hebrew. So um, even just something as simple as um, the modern Hebrew language is, doesn't use the vowels. So um, a lot of people that, have, uh, that are Israeli that have never studied the Hebrew Bible or the Holy Texts don't know how to pronounce the words properly because you have to have the vowels unless you know the text well. Learn by experience. Yes. Okay. So we left off, uh, and they shall be life for your soul. And then we talked about uh, saying things about, you know, verses, um, that the verses alone don't bring healing, uh, that the God, or Hashem, who the verses are referring to, brings the healing. So it is, however, permitted for a healthy person to recite verses from the Bible or chapters from Psalms, like you mentioned, Tehillim. Uh, it says here, our sages have elaborated at length on the unique merit of reciting Psalms. And all Jewish communities throughout the world, whenever there is a danger to an individual or to the community, it is customary to gather together to recite Psalms. In certain communities, it is customary to recite a portion of Psalms every day according to a standard division, which allows the entire book of Psalms to be completed in a week or in a month. Uh, 
the Jewish people, we love to do things in a systematic way of learning. I mean, it's so you start at A and you finish at Z. There's not all this. You, you guys can relate to all the jumbling around and picking and pulling and building. and No, start at here and go to here. That's the best recommended route. <laughs> if you're going to go to Chicago, you don't want to go to Washington, D.C. first if you're leaving Houston. You know? Maybe you do, but it's not the direct route. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it is, again, it is, however, permitted for a healthy person to receive verses from the Bible or chapters from Psalms so that the merit of reading them will protect him and save him from difficulties and injury. The commentaries cite the practice of reciting Kriyat Shema, which someone over here brought up saying Shema. Okay, so the commentaries cite the practice of reciting Kriyat Shema before retiring as an example of such a practice. So uh, there's uh, Kriyat Shema Al-Hamita. It's uh, the recite recitation of the Shema before one goes to sleep uh, is relating to a similar concept as reciting Tehillim. Okay. Um, we're going to read one more Halakha and then we'll wrap up the text for today. Halakha 13. Who is one who seeks information from the dead? A person who starves himself and goes to sleep in a cemetery so that a deceased person will come to him in a dream <laughs> and reply to his questions. So this, isn't it interesting how the Rambam gets very specific? Right. He said, it had to be going on at all times back then. Yeah. Now, the, the majority of the, these Holocaust are derived from the in-depth study of the uh, Talmud. So, um, so these are things that have been common throughout the world <laughs> for people to do. So specifically, one who, uh, one who seeks information from the dead is a person who starves himself and goes to sleep in a cemetery so that the, a deceased person can dream and reply to his questions. Um, Sefer HaMitzvot, Negative Commandment 38, states that the mediums who try to contact a a dece the deceased are the ones who are in truth dead, even though they eat and are sensitive. Okay. Yeah, a, a medium who seeks the dead is considered as he's dead. But he's eating and he's, the body's alive, but there's something off. Lights are on, but no, lights are off, but the body, the house is still occupied. Yes, very good. Hollow. Okay, so there are others who wear special clothes, recite incantations, burn a particular type of incense, and sleep alone so that a deceased person will come to them and speak to them in a dream. To summarize, anyone who performs a deed in order that a deceased person should come to him and give him information is punished by lashes. Again, the punishment is a, is a is administered only when a deed is committed. As Deuteronomy 18.10 states, there shall not be found among you one who passes, one who seeks information from the dead. Sefer HaMitzvot and Sefer HaChinuch 
consider this a this prohibition to be one of the 613 mitzvot of the Torah. Okay, so we're going to stop there. Thank you guys for participating online. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to bring it up uh, on the uh, live feed. And uh, we'll pick it up next time with Halakha 14. And then we'll be moving on to chapter 12.